Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. All right, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure your seat is in its full and upright position. We're about to take off on a message and hit on some topics this morning that I'll be honest, it's a little bit of a unique message. Some topics that have caused some Christians some confusion and a message I believe that you'll find by the time we get to the end of it filled with scripture and filled with doctrine. Um, but, but a topic that it seems we rarely, sometimes maybe in certain churches, rarely hit on. And our flight time this morning will be about 45 minutes or so before we make our landing with some applications that I believe you can take with you in your lives this morning. So is your tray table in the upright position? Let's go. Let's, let's do this. Pastor Ryan, what do you believe about speaking in tongues? Pastor Ryan, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost? Have you ever had some crazy experience following your salvation where you just got overwhelmed and, and kind of this second baptism, if you will? Pastor Ryan, how come I've never seen anybody speaking in tongues at, in services at Liberty? How many of you have ever been to a service or seen a service on TV or on YouTube where people claim to have the gift of tongues, to speak in tongues? I have. I've, I've, I've not been, I don't know that I've been to a service, but I know that I've, I've seen some on television or on the internet. Maybe you know someone that, maybe there might be someone here that says, I have spoken in tongues before. And if that is you, I will assure you that whatever I preach today is not meant for anybody, no matter where, where you land on this issue as a personal attack on anybody, but we're going to look at some things in Scripture today. Maybe you know someone that claims to be able to speak in tongues, but you don't. What does the Bible say about it? A few times per year, it seems, I'll get questions from people regarding the biblical gift of tongues that we find in the book of Acts and, uh, and, and the gift of tongues is found in Scripture here in Acts and 1 Corinthians primarily. And I'll get questions about the, what we find in the book of Acts and how that relates to Christians today. And what does that mean for us today? And one of the benefits, I had not planned, by the way, we have a good number of guests here. And I, more and more guests kept coming in. And I thought, man, this is a really weird message for a whole bunch of guests to come to. And, uh, but the Lord had us here. I did not plan to speak on this topic, but... One of the benefits of working through the Bible systematically and going verse by verse through, the, through a book is you don't pick and choose topics that you want to preach on. You preach the whole counsel of God where God has you in Scripture at that time. For those that are here for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we are in message number 60, working our way verse by verse through the book of Acts, the history of the early church, the history of the New Testament local church in Scripture. And the book of Acts... So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those cover a time period of about 30 years when Jesus was here on earth, his earthly life and ministry. The book of Acts pick up right when Jesus ascends into heaven following his death, burial, and resurrection. 
and it covers a span of about 30 years, the 30 years following Jesus' earthly life and ministry. It's called the book of Acts. They, some call it the Acts of the Apostles. I would call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And it's the history of the early church, the church that we would seek to pattern our church after from scriptural principles. The book of Acts tells how the gospel went throughout the world. And so this morning, we're going to be in a passage that is used by some churches to support their belief of speaking in tongues and what I believe to be a wrong teaching of a second baptism of the believer. And we'll look at it scripturally and uh, what, what some would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost at some undetermined point following salvation. Just to establish what I believe the Bible clearly teaches, I do believe that we are baptized into Christ. I, I, I baptized Paige and Kate this morning in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I believe that when we're, when we're baptized, we are picturing Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And according to the example and the teachings of Scripture, at that time, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believer. I, I do not personally find in Scripture uh, a clear teaching that there is some second baptism at some undetermined random point somewhere along the way in our Christian journey. And so we'll look at some things that can, has, have caused some confusion in times past, and we'll take a look at that this morning. So does the Bible teach that we should seek the gift of tongues in our Christian lives, or that there is some emotional, overwhelming experience where the Holy Ghost comes on us in some unique way, unlike ever before, and we begin to speak in an unintelligible language. Do we find those teachings in Scripture? And let me say this again. No matter what our personal belief or experience has been, if our experience or belief contradicts the clear teachings of Scripture, we should go with Scripture. Well, I've seen this. I've been in a very emotional service, and I, I know somebody that I, I know loves the Lord. And they, and again, all of us, we fall into traps if we base our belief, our faith on our feelings or our experiences. The Word of God should supersede any of our feelings or experiences. And so let's jump into the first seven verses of Acts 19. If you have a Bible, I'm going to bring a message this morning entitled, The Gift of Tongues. And we're going to look at the last instance of tongues found in the book of Acts here in Acts 19. We finished up last week, chapter 18, last Sunday morning. We're going to be in Acts 19. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I say this just about every Sunday, I'd encourage you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I'd encourage you to follow along there, or if, you're, if you have an app and you're following along on a device, a, a phone, or a tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version. If you'd like to follow along, at times we'll sometimes read aloud together. And I'd encourage you, if there is any, any Sunday that you come here, any service that you come here, if there is any power in any preaching, no matter who stands behind this pulpit, the power is found in Scripture, not in my ideas, not in my opinions, and I have them, not in my preferences or my traditions. The power is found in the Word of God. If that is true, I encourage us every week to follow along and to see the Word of God for ourselves and to see what it says. Last week, we left off with Paul finishing his second missionary journey and starting his third missionary journey. I think we have a, a picture of the map, and I apologize for the shadow of the, uh, we're in the middle of an AVL platform remodel. Those lights went up this week. We're going to be getting our new screens and, and things in the next uh, month or so. So some of these are, we've got that shadow there. 
But we looked at this third missionary journey. On the far right, you'll see Antioch. That was Paul's sending church, his home church. They sent him out uh, to go preach the gospel in all different cities. Where we left, we left Ephesus on the left part of Asia there, that dot to the left right near the coast. Uh, Apollos had come on the scene. You remember that from last Sunday? A new preacher had come on the scene. Aquila and Priscilla had helped him. And that church, those Christians in Ephesus, sent Apollos by boat across the Aegean Sea there to Corinth, where we get the books of First and Second Corinthians. Corinth. So Apollos is in Corinth, and uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla are in Ephesus. Paul has left Antioch and is traveling through Galatia and Phrygia, and he's checking on churches and preaching the gospel. That's where we were last week. Now let's pick it up. Acts 19. Verse number one, Acts 19, verse one. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So Paul in chapter 18 told the believers in Ephesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to come back if God allows. If God wills, I'm coming back to Ephesus to preach to you, to spend some time with you. So Paul makes his way back to Ephesus. Apollos is over in Corinth. Now, here is the first place where we get some confusion from this passage is the last phrase where it says, and finding certain disciples. You see, when we use the word disciple, we almost always use it interchangeably as a believer. The disciples of Christ, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. We are disciples in our church. We have a program one-on-one -on -one that we call our one-on-one -on -one discipleship program. And so when we read that, our minds, if we're not careful, immediately say, okay, Paul found some believers. Here's the thing. The word disciple in the New Testament is not always referring to saved or converted believers. That word in the Greek simply means a learner, a follower, a student. I enjoy sports. I, I enjoy, I coach our high school um, basketball team here. We just finished our season. The boys did a great job. They, they ended up undefeated in league. We won the league. They went 18 and two this year. I love sports. And we've got one of the moms, happy mom right there. And uh, I love sports. So we're watching basketball. NBA playoffs are on right now. You'll see certain coaches, uh, the Spurs, Greg Popovich, and he's had many assistants that have gone on to coach other places. And they'll say about that coach, Steve Kerr is a Greg Popovich disciple. It just means he learned under him. He's a disciple of that, that teacher. So when we read this, we have to find out. We don't know for sure if they're saved or not. The, the rest of the passage is going to show us if they are, but it simply means a learner or a follower. We're going to see in a moment, actually, they were, not, uh, they were not Christians. Verse number two, Paul said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? As you study again the Greek, the, the original language here, this passage literally re reads, Received ye the Holy Spirit when you believed? They were religious people. They, were, they, they, they had faith. They had belief system in, a, in, in God, Jehovah. They were not Christians. We're going to see that in a minute. Because Paul said, in whatever you're believing in, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because at this point, that was a mark of a believer. They had been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You remember Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. He says to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, look here, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Paul clearly says, if you want to jot it down, Romans 8, 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 
We didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Now, now we didn't know, and what they're saying, and we're going to see it here in a minute, what they're saying is they didn't know anything about the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost and the work of the Spirit since Christ's ascension back to heaven. These, there's 12 men he's talking to. These 12 men were sincere, but they were not saved. Have you received the Holy Ghost? We didn't even know. Has he, has he come? Now, being Old Testament believers, uh, as far as Old Testament uh, followers, they would have known about the Spirit of God, but you have to understand information traveled much differently back then. Just because we're 25 years past Christ's ascension, the, 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 the news of the Spirit coming and what God did at Pentecost, there was no internet, there was no social media, there was no Instagram or Facebook. You couldn't get worldwide news in an instant. And so they said, oh, we didn't even know. Has that they're living in the Old Testament looking for the work to be done. And, and Paul says it's already been done. They were sincere, but they were not saved. May I just stop and say this right here? Often, sincere religious people are unconverted. You can go to church your entire life, according to Scripture, and I can go to church my entire life and be on my way to hell. The Bible says at the, at the last days in the judgment seat that we're gonna, there's going to be people standing before Christ and they're going to say, we did many things in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But, but, but I went to church and I gave money in the offering plate and I tried to be a good person and I tried to do good deeds and I tried to live a good life. And he's going to say, but you, you had a religion, you had a system of beliefs, but you did not have a relationship with me. You had never accepted me as your personal savior. And so he says here, this is a reminder, we don't need religion, we need a relationship with Jesus. I don't care so much if you're a Baptist or a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian or a Methodist. I don't care what label you have unless it's the label I am a Christian, a follower of Christ, not a follower of some man-made system of religion. Now look at verse number three. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? So we've not been baptized in Christ. We've not received the Holy Ghost. We didn't even know that, that he's come to earth. And they said unto him, they said unto John's baptism. Their faith, that is John the Baptist, their faith was still in the Old Testament, separate from Christ. The Old Testament ends with John the Baptist. Christ brings in the New Testament. John the Baptist is that forerunner, the cousin of Jesus that went about, and he had disciples that followed him that he had baptized. One commentator, Warren Wearsby, said this. He said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance that looked forward to the coming of the promised Messiah, while Christian baptism, what we saw this morning, is a baptism that looks back to the finished work of Christ. They believed Messiah was coming. They believed in God Jehovah. They believed the Old Testament scriptures were true. They had not become followers of Christ. Do you see that? We were baptized unto John's baptism. We, it, our faith kind of, it stops right there with John the Baptist. We didn't know about all that Christ had done and all that happened. They didn't realize the one that John foretold had come. Now watch now, they accept this truth. They're saved, I believe the Bible makes it clear, and baptized in Christ. Look at verse number four. 
Then said Paul, John verily, just means truly, baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. John was pointing to Jesus, and he's come. You're not waiting anymore. Now, I know you didn't know this because you were in Ephesus and you were kind of in this, in this area, but he's come. That which you were waiting for, that, the one that John foretold 25, 27, 28, 29 years ago, 30 years ago, he's here. He's done his work. He died for you. He paid for your sins on the cross. He was buried. He conquered death. Three days later, he rose from the grave. You're not waiting anymore. And they heard this and they received by faith that, and then they were baptized in Christ. Now look, verse number, when they heard this, they were baptized in verse 5, in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. So they're saved, they're baptized, what just happened here, and now it's an interesting thing. Paul lays his hands on them. This is an act of apostolic, he's an apostle, apostolic authority or acceptance. I am laying my hand saying, these are believers of Christ. Now again, when we read some interesting things, not understanding the book of Acts and the transitional nature from the Old Testament to the New Testament found in Acts, we can cherry pick a couple of verses build entire doctrines and entire church practices that become confusing at best and sometimes false teaching at worst. And so that's what we see with some in this passage. We see 12 men here. As they're saved and baptized, Paul lays his hands accepting them, and it's kind of a mini Pentecost. I know it's, right now it's a lot of introduction. I'll get where we're going, and I believe it'll be a help to you by the time we get to the end. But he lays his hands, and in a mini Pentecost, that was in Acts 2, when the Holy Ghost came upon the, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, and they began to speak in tongues. What was that? It was a sign. God is saying, I have accepted them. They are my followers. I've given them my spirit, and I've allowed them to do these miraculous wonders. They can speak in tongues. They can speak in, the, in a language they have never learned, and other people hear them and understand them in that language. We have many different languages represented in this room. We have people that speak Spanish, and we have people that speak Tagalog, and we have people that uh, speak uh, uh, um, Mandarin and Cantonese and, and French, and we have people that speak German in this. We have people from all different languages. I, maybe one reason that, that I, I don't have the gift of tongues is because I'm, I'm not even good with English. I, I struggle with English. I, I know muy poquito in Espanol, and that's it. That's the end of my languages. But what if I was speaking, I had never studied Mandarin or Cantonese, and I'm speaking, and someone that only speaks Mandarin or Cantonese is hearing me in their language, the gospel of Christ. That would be an amazing miracle. That's what happened in the book of Acts. That was the gift of tongues. We'll see it here in a little bit. I'll show you from Scripture. And so this is what happens, a mini Pentecost. And what it's saying is it's showing those people that a few minutes ago didn't even know the Holy Ghost had come to earth. And now it's very clear we have him inside of us. We're speaking in tongues. It's very clear God is saying, these are my believers. We must understand 
Acts is a time of transition for the church where God allowed some of his apostles and followers to perform signs such as tongues, miracles such as healing, gifts such as prophecies to be used to show his approval on these men and their message and to allow the spread of the gospel to happen in amazing ways and at speeds which would have otherwise been impossible. These miracles in this time gave great authority to their message. People saw it and said, Peter and, and James and John, they heal people and they say, he must, they must be with Jesus. You have to remember, people did not have the book and the truth that we have. They had the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament. We have the completed canon of scripture. Everything God wants us to know is right here. They didn't have all of that. They had the walking canon, if you will. I don't mean that in a, that can be taken out of context. But they had, they had the, the hands and feet of Jesus, the disciples, the apostles, walking around there. And so people saw that, and, and they realized God was speaking in unique ways in the book of Acts through his apostles in this unique time in history following his finished work that would not happen again after this season. And here's the problem. When we misunderstand some of these things and cherry pick them to make a few isolated instances normative for all Christians throughout history, what can happen is we end up with dangerous theology and unscriptural practices in the church. That is where faith healers like Benny Hinn, they'll, they'll take passages like this or passages that show the apostles healing some, and they'll come and they'll say, I still have that gift. I, I, I've, I've communicated with his nephew, who was the heir apparent to his faith healing kingdom. And we've talked, he's now a, a, a Christian pastor in Arizona. He used to live in Tustin. They were actually looking at putting their child at Newport Christian School. We would have had Benny Hinn's great nephew at Newport Christian School. They used to come to our night in Bethlehem every year, and I've talked with him, I've read his book, and he talks about how so much of that, and they twist, they take a few verses and cherry pick them and manipulate them and twist them to build their multi-million dollar kingdom. It's a danger. So they're, they're here. There's no denying the gift of tongues exists here. There's no denying the Holy Spirit comes on these 12 men and they start to speak in languages they had never studied before and they did not know. And we see this Pentecost experience where the Holy Ghost comes down. We see it four times throughout Acts. Each time where the Spirit came down, it came in power upon different groups of people. I want you to understand because we see it happen four different times and we think, well, I must be waiting for that as well. This was a unique transition time where God was clearly showing in ways that nobody could argue, these are my people. I have accepted them into my family because up until this point, the Jews had a special relationship with God, the nation of Israel, and, and they believed, even they believed, we have something the rest of the world doesn't. And by the way, they did. And so they look down on Gentiles and they look down on Samaritans. But in Acts, God makes it clear with Christ tearing the, 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 the veil in two that the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for every language, every people. There, is, there are multiple races in God's sight. There's one race, the human race. There is no racism. Now, there are different ethnicities, and there are people from different tribes and languages and tongues. And God made it clear in the book of Acts, I don't, I don't have the gospel just for one group of people. It's for everybody. 
And he uses, he makes that clear, the, the Holy Spirit came in, in, in power like this four different times in Acts. And every time it was to different groups. Number one, it was to the Jews in Jerusalem. It was to the Jews in Jerusalem. Secondly, it was to the Samaritans through Philip. You can look, at, look it up yourself in Acts 8. Thirdly, it was to the Gentiles by Peter. Remember that in Cornelius' house? We've studied all of these in Acts 10. And then here it was to the dispersed Jews through Paul, those who were still living in the Old Testament. And in all four of these areas, what is God saying? The same power I give to the Jews is the power I give to the Samaritans, the half-breeds. That's what the Jews viewed them as. They were half Jew and half Gentile. And the same power that I give when, uh, to the Samaritans is the same power I give to the Gentiles, those that weren't Jews at all. And then to those that are still confused and dispersed and don't have the truth, now I'm bringing them in. And God is using the coming of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues to signify his acceptance of every people group and show that the gospel of Christ was for everyone and in Christ, there was no people group better or more accepted than another. May I just stop and say this? That would be a good reminder for all of us as followers of God. The book of Acts clearly teaches us there is no people group better or, or worse than another. God hates the division and discord we find in so many corners of our country today. God died for everyone, no matter the color of their skin, the, 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 whether they're man, woman, whether they're tall, short, whether they were born in America or somewhere else. And, and God is showing that clearly in the book of Acts. My death was not for a group of people. I died for the world. I rose again to, to forgive the sins of the world. So what should this passage and the others that refer to tongues then Mainly the three instances, there's three instances in Acts, and then 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. What should they lead us to believe in 2021? We see here very clearly, the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in tongues. I want you to see, I'm going to give you three thoughts and then a couple takeaways. Number one, biblically, and I, I told you this is a little bit of a weird topic, especially if this is your first time ever here. Come back next Sunday, I promise. I don't always preach kind of like Bible college doctrinal classes, but, but that's where God has us. And as a pastor, I don't want to skip over the hard subjects because there are churches and ministries and people, I believe sincere people, deceived with false teachings sometimes in these areas all around our world. Number one, the pattern of tongues. When was it used? How was it used? But what does it look like in the Bible? And this is key. It was used as an external sign to show the power of the Spirit they had received. It was a stamp of approval as the Holy Spirit came to a different group of people. We only see record of people speaking in tongues three times over the course of 25 years. The pattern, three times over the course of 25 years in Acts. That doesn't sound like an everyday normative Christian experience to me. There are three instances over 25 years that we see tongues, be, the gift of tongues being given. They were isolated instances among a handful of believers each time. This was not an everyday occurrence by the multitudes who had come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Nowhere in scripture do we see that every time they gathered on a weekly basis that they had people that were standing up and speaking in tongues and that everyone that was getting saved was waiting for this special gift and now I have the Holy Spirit that you don't have because I have, we don't see that anywhere. We see three times isolated instances with a handful of believers where God is showing a new group. I accept them. I've sent my spirit and he uses it uh, for, for the proliferation of the gospel. Simply put, in the New Testament record of the church, speaking in tongues was not the norm. Paul even asks the rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians 13, 
does everyone have the gift of tongues? Making it clear, of course not. This is not something that everybody should be seeking. To take these special events in history and teach them as the pattern for which every believer or church should be striving in, in my very clear uh, view of Scripture is not supported. In addition, not only was it a very, very uh, limited uh, instances that we see it, what, what did tongues actually look like compared to today? Here's my biggest issue with most of the churches that would teach the gift of tongues is still in existence. Is their practice of the gift of tongues today in modern 21st century America or in the world looks nothing like what the pattern actually looked like in Scripture. The gift of tongues in Scripture was a divinely bestowed supernatural ability to speak in a human language that had not been learned by the one speaking. Today, it is almost always what the speaker calls a heavenly language that no one other than themselves can understand. So the very first time we see the gift of tongues, it's at Pentecost. Jesus has left 120 uh, of his followers in the upper room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. They start to speak, and they're speaking in all different languages. Well, wh why, what was, what was, wh why was that important? The Feast of Pentecost, Jews from all over the known world would come to Jerusalem for the feast. They spoke all different languages. So right now, the early church, from what we know, is about 120 people. Jesus has just gone back into heaven, and they see them, and they think, these people are drunk. What's going on with these people? They're speaking all these. And then all of a sudden, people start listening. We're going to see it in a minute in Acts 2. We're going to turn there in a minute. They start listening, and they say, wait a second. I hear him in my language, and do you hear him? He's speaking. These are Galileans. They've never even been to college. These aren't linguists. How is he speaking in your language, in my language? And we're all hearing it. And that is where that day and one day, 3,000 people were saved and baptized. The church went from 120 to 3,120. And the next day or two, another couple thousand. And daily, people were added to the church. What was the pattern of tongues? It was not some emotional experience that the believers enjoyed amongst themselves in their upper room. It was a public prophesying event that God used them while they had a multinational group out there to get the gospel to dozens, if not scores of different languages from a group of these unlearned, uneducated followers of Jesus to multiply the church. I don't see that pattern in any modern day uh, tongues movement. Paul said that if someone were speaking in the gift of tongues in a church service, it should only be one person at a time and no more than two or three in a service. Does that sound like any service you've heard of where the gift of tongues was present? Only one person at a time speaks in it and at the most two or three in an entire service. Again, I'm not attacking another church. I'm not attacking the sincerity of those that might even claim they have the gift of tongues. What I am saying is let's go back to Scripture. Does what they claim to have look like anything we find in Scripture? If our church is doing things that are very clearly not found in Scripture, I want to be challenged in that area because I want our church founded upon the truths. I want us living Christian lives that are in accordance to the Word of God. So not only the pattern of tongues, but number two, we must understand for those that are confused, am I waiting? Should I be trying to speak in tongues? The purpose of tongues. The purpose of tongues. Again, for those that would disagree with some of what I've said already, my biggest pushback in the, in the, is that the modern examples of churches that preach and practice the gift of tongues do not resemble the scriptural gift of tongues. I have yet to see a church today that believes in the gift of tongues, practice it the way that we find it in the New Testament. I want to say this statement. The purpose of tongues in Acts was the edification of the church and the evangelization of the lost. 
Modern day tongues is almost always about the elevation of the individual who has the gift. It's about I'm waiting for my special moment when the Holy Ghost comes on me and I start speaking in this unintelligible language. By the way, it was never an unintelligible language in Scripture. It was always understood. In Acts, it was not bringing attention to those speaking in tongues. It was bringing attention to Jesus Christ. It was helping people that otherwise wouldn't be able to understand the gospel, understand the gospel more clearly. The, the, the gift today often draws attention to us rather than pointing people to Christ. It's look at me, I, I'm so close to God. I have an emotional experience. I've received a special gift that you don't have. I, I had this supernatural experience that made me feel so good. I got slain in the spirit at church and had this out-of-body experience. So much of it is about how I felt and my experience. Turn with me, if you will, uh, about uh, 17 chapters back. Acts 2, please. I'm, I'm trying to move quickly. Acts 2, I, I want you to see it for yourself in Scripture. Acts in chapter number two, verse number four. Acts chapter number two, verse number four. Again, tongues is in Scripture. And some people would say with, with my, my belief from Scripture on tongues, Pastor Ryan, you're just limiting God. You're saying God can't do that again today. May I say this? God can do anything he wants to today. God can, God can use any means he wants to to do anything that he wants to do. What I am saying is from scriptural teachings, historical teachings, what we try to claim is the biblical gift of tongues looks nothing like what we see in scripture. Acts chapter two, verse number four. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now they're talking in other languages. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, notice this, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. People are saying, these people are speaking in all these languages. And they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So I'm up here preaching and, and you don't understand English and you're hearing what I'm saying translated into your language. Verse seven, and they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? That's basically an insult. Aren't these just dumb, dumb fishermen? And how hear we every man in our own tongue? Wherein were we, we were born? What? How is this possible? I've, I've traveled to probably a dozen, 15 different countries. Uh, the last one, one of the last ones I was in was in Tanzania. It'd be, be like me walking in to Africa, standing in front of a group that doesn't understand English, preaching in their native tongue, Swahili, that I know nothing of. And as I'm preaching in English, they're hearing everything clearly in Swahili. That was the biblical gift of tongues. He goes on to list all the different languages, verses 9 and 10. Verse 11, he says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. That's very different than what we call in the last couple hundred years the gift of tongues. I don't know of anybody that claims to stand up, preach in his, in his native tongue, and somebody else hears him in a different language and hears very clearly the works of God. It caused them to consider God and the gospel and led to the gospel being preached to thousands and thousands coming to Christ. Again, I challenge you, and I'd love to sit down. I'm not upset about this issue at all. I'd love to sit down and, and have a, an open, honest conversation with Scripture with anyone. I challenge you to show me any church where they encourage the gift of tongues, where it is used the way we see here in Acts 2. Entire denominations have elevated the gift of an unknown tongue as almost the pinnacle of the spiritual experience for a Christian, and yet Paul did the exact opposite when speaking of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. 
he actually basically said, it's the worst of the gifts. It's not, it's not, it's not the good one. And we have entire denominations that have almost made it like this is what you're striving for. To get slain in the spirit and begin to speak in an unintelligible tongue is the height of your Christian experience. And Paul said, don't even desire tongues. No, you can read 1 Corinthians 14 for yourself. Very different as you study it. He basically said, if your gift is tongue in, of tongues isn't helping someone else come to Christ or teaching them something, it is a waste and nothing to be desired. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 19, talking about the purpose of tongues. Yet in the church, Paul said, I had rather speak five words with my understanding than by my voice I might, that my, by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. I'd rather say five words people can understand than blabber on in an unintelligible tongue for an hour. That's what Paul said about tongues. The one that just laid his hands on the Ephesian believers and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. It was never something they did in their own home Bible studies. In their corporate gatherings, it was a sign to get the gospel to people that had never heard the gospel. Again, that is not what we see in modern day churches that would believe the gift of tongues is still something to strive for. Now, he says, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. The purpose of, of tongues was for the spread of the gospel among unbelievers. Number three, you've listened well to my really weird Sunday morning message. Number three, the time period of tongues. I told my wife yesterday, I said, it's a really weird message. I feel so strange, but that's where God has us. So I think we need to learn and understand scripturally on these doctrines. The time period of tongues. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 8, Charity, or biblical love, never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. He's talking about different spiritual gifts and different fruits of the Spirit. He's talking about those things. In context, chapters 12, 13, and 14 is talking about the, those gifts, miraculous sign gifts that the apostles had that I believe, I don't believe, I'm not a faith healer, and I don't believe that there are modern, I believe God can still heal today, but I don't believe there are modern day faith healers. If there were, I'd like to take them to the children's hospital with me not just to a crusade where they can raise a lot of money. And we see those were, now there were disciples, followers of Christ that very clearly could heal people in scripture. That those were sign gifts given in that transitional stage to give authority to their message that God was with them. It's clear, we, we must understand that. And Paul said, tongues they shall cease. Now we've gotta be honest. It doesn't tell us when that is. It doesn't tell us when that gift will go away, but that Greek, Greek verb means to cease permanently. It's a different verb than is used for the prophecies and knowledge. It puts tongues in a different category. So the question then that we as believers have to answer is, has tongues already ceased or does it still exist? And I would suggest to you that the evidence of scripture and history indicate to me that tongues ceased in the apostolic age. Let me give you the, my, my, my belief for that. In all of the New Testament epistles, you have the entire Bible after Acts, their letters to churches and Christians. In all of them, tongues is mentioned once. In one of them, not once, but in one of them. In 1 Corinthians, one of the earliest letters when the, when the gift was still in action. Here's what's interesting. 
two later epistles, Romans and Ephesians. By the way, Ephesians written to these believers that had spoken in tongues. Romans and Ephesians deals very deeply about the gift of the Holy Spirit and its working in our lives and mentions nothing about us seeking or having the gift of tongues. He covers the Holy Spirit in detail in Romans and Ephesians and never once mentions Paul that uh, about tongues. It, 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 by then, apostolic authority had already been established and needed no further confirmation. Paul wrote at least 12 epistles after 1 Corinthians and never again mentioned tongues. If it is a major part of our belief system that we're striving for, we have to ask ourselves, why would he write 12 more letters to churches after 1 Corinthians and never one time mentions its use or desiring it? Now, we, the Holy Spirit's mentioned a whole bunch in those epistles. And we're told, we're commanded to walk in the Spirit. We're never told to desire or seek that gift ever in any other of his letters. James never mentioned tongues. John never mentioned tongues. Jude never mentioned tongues. They appear three times in Acts. But once the church is established in the whole record of, his, of, of Scripture, they're gone. Not only scriptural proofs, but historic proofs. It's important to remember that for most of church history, most of church history since the first century, tongues was nowhere to be found. The rise of tongues really is a recent modern development in the last 200 years or so. Uh, really less than that, 150-ish years or so. Interestingly, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, was one of the biggest proponents of this as he claimed to have the gift of tongues. He claimed to have these miracle signs. It's how he got the Book of Mormon. He got special revelations from God that nobody else got. And, and he, had the, he claimed to have the gift of tongues. He was one of those that brought it in in modern day. These are some of the roots, Joseph Smith and others, of Pentecostalism in modern American Christianity. Let me read you a few paragraphs to summarize the history of tongues over the last 2,000 years. In the first few centuries of the church, Chrysostom and Augustine, the greatest theologians of the Eastern and Western churches, considered tongues obsolete. Writing in the fourth century, Chrysostom stated categorically that tongues had ceased by his time and described the gift as an obscure practice. Augustine referred to tongues as a sign that was adapted to the apostolic age, meaning when the, the, the apostles of Christ were still living. In fact, during the first 500 years of the church, the only people who claimed to have spoken in tongues were followers of Montanus, who was branded as a heretic. 500 years. The next time any significant tongue-speaking movement arose within Christianity was in the late 17th century. More than a thousand years of believers, did we stumble upon something that 1,500, 15 centuries, 1,500 years of believers missed in Scripture? It wasn't found until the 1700s, and it was a group of militant Protestants in southern France. They began to prophesy, experience visions, and speak in tongues. Most of their prophecies, by the way, went unfulfilled. They were rabidly anti-Roman Catholic and advocated the use of armed force against the Roman Catholic Church. Many of them were consequently persecuted and killed by Rome. Another group that practiced a form of tongues was the Shakers, an American sect with Quaker roots that flourished in the mid-1700s. Their mother, Ann Lee, their founder, regarded herself, listen, this is who is teaching tongues, regarded herself as the female equivalent of Jesus Christ. She claimed to be able to speak in 72 languages. They spoke in tongues while dancing and singing in a trance-like state. 
Then in the early 19th century, Scottish Presbyterian pastor Edward Irving and members of his congregation practiced speaking in tongues and prophesying. Irvingite prophets often contradicted each other. Their prophecies failed to come to pass and their meetings were characterized by wild excesses. The movement was further discredited when some of their prophets admitted to falsifying prophecies and others even attributed their giftedness to evil spirits. This group eventually became the Catholic Apostolic Church, which taught many false doctrines, embracing several Roman Catholic doctrines and creating 12 apostolic offices. All of those supposed manifestations of tongues were identified with groups that were heretical, fanatical, or otherwise unorthodox. The judgment of biblically orthodox believers who were their contemporaries that was that all those groups were aberrations. Surely that should be the assessment of any Christian who is concerned with truth. And this is a, a, an article that I, I'm quoting from. Thus we conclude that from the end of the ap apostolic era to the beginning of the 20th century, there were no genuine occurrences of the New Testament gift of tongues. They had ceased as the Holy Spirit said they would. This writer says the gift of tongues is not for today. In modern day Christianity or evangelicalism, you're most likely to find tongues in a pe Pentecostal or charismatic church, but you can't trace tongues in any of these groups in America much earlier than 1875. What you will see looks nothing like the pattern and purpose of tongues in scripture. It is some random emotional experience that focus on the person receiving the gift or it is used by some preacher to claim God is giving him some special word from the Lord aside from scripture that only he can in interpret. May I just say this? We have all the words from the Lord that we need today. Amen. God will not and does not give me some special extra biblical revelation. He gave me his completed revelation right here. Now I can at times study and give application and help you see things maybe in ways you hadn't seen before. But if I'm ever preaching anything that is not supported by Scripture, I am becoming a false teacher. And that is what we find in the modern tongues movement. Number one, in Scripture, it's very limited. Three times in Acts, to small groups of people, to use to get the gospel out. Three chapters in 1 Corinthians, no other epistles even mention it. And then in history, it's quiet for about 1,700 years. And what those that would do it, it's based on feeling, experience, emotionalism. So today, I told you at the beginning, a weird message. A little bit of a doctrine class, a little more educational. So Pastor Ryan, you say, what do I do with my Christian life this week? I came to church, I wasn't struggling, trying to speak tongues. I, w I didn't speak tongues this week. I wasn't even thinking about tongues. Some of you are like, I didn't even know people did that. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what you're talking about. Why did you waste 40 minutes of my time. Let me wrap it up in these last five minutes. I hope I didn't waste your time. Number one, I hope you understand that we should find all of our faith and practice in Scripture. But let me wrap it up, and I'm going to give you two takeaways. Today's takeaways. As we grow in our knowledge of the Word, I hope that's what we did today, and able to more intelligently support our belief system. That's never a waste of time. So what is our takeaway if that's you? You weren't struggling with this doctrine. You weren't even thinking about this doctrine. You're just trying to figure out how to make it through the week. What are our takeaways? I've got two for you today. Number one, the Christian life should be lived by faith, not feelings. The Christian life should be lived by faith, not feelings. 
So much of what we see in modern Christianity, including those that would, would desire the gift of tongues, it's a Christianity that is based on feelings. And by the way, it's not just those. We have it in our, in, in our church and other churches like-minded like us. So much of our Christian life is based on feelings. When I feel good, I live for God. When things are going well, I praise him. When, when, when the experience of being a Christian is great, wonderful. But this first time a pastor lets me down or a Christian lets me down or my spouse lets me down or God doesn't answer the prayer in the way that I wanted him to, the first time that I'm disappointed, you know what, I think I'm done with God. No, what, what is our takeaway from this, the Christian life? We should not be looking for some special sign. We should be living upon his word, should be lived by faith, not feelings. You may not be struggling with the, the doctrine of the gift of tongues, but no doubt many of us at times are still tempted to elevate feelings over faith in our Christianity. Eugene Peterson said this, measure not God's love and favor by your own feeling. Listen to this, the sun shines as clearly as in the darkest day as it does in the brightest. The difference is not the sun, but in some clouds which hinder the manifestation of the light thereof. The sun shines as brightly as it does on the brightest day as it does on the darkest day. The difference is not in the sun. The difference is in the clouds that hinder the light from the sun. May I say, there are times in your Christian life, undoubtedly, that you will be walking in sunshine, and other times that you're walking in deep clouds. The difference is not the God that we serve. The difference is not the light. The difference is our emotions and our feelings and how we're perceiving what we're walking through and the pain of our earthly circumstances. And whether or not tongues is an issue for you, surely if you're anything like me, our feelings at times is an issue for us. And we consider things that would go against scripture because it doesn't feel good to do what's right. The Christian life should be lived by faith, not feelings. Well, it doesn't feel good to follow God right now. Christian, follow him anyways. It doesn't feel like he's near. Go back to his word. He promised he would never leave you nor forsake you. I, I think God has forgotten about me. He promised that he sees every, he is every hair of your head numbered. He knows how many hair, he knows every sparrow that falls. Well, I just don't think God knows where I'm at. Don't live by your thinking, your emotions, your feeling. Live by the truths of scripture. We base so much of our lives and even our Christianity on feelings on fear, on circumstances. Well, what's gonna happen in America? Well, what's gonna happen with that leader? Well, what about this pandemic? Well, what about that? And I'm not saying not to be informed and not to be wise. What I am saying is don't let fear or feelings govern your Christianity. Let the truths of scripture govern it. God did make us emotional creatures. Nothing wrong with emotions. Emotions can be wonderful things in our lives, but they should not rule our lives. Emotions of joy and love and laughter are wonderful God-given things that differentiate us from robots. Aren't you glad we can feel? It makes marriage a whole lot better. It makes, when my kids say something nice to me, it makes it a whole lot better. I'm glad I have emotions, but I shouldn't let my Christianity be ruled by them. Why? Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart will deceive us. God's word never will. Don't base your Christianity on feelings. The just shall live by faith. Another writer said, measure not God's love and favor by your own. Oh, oh, oh that's the same quote. I had a second quote. I copy and pasted the same one in there. I got a great quote. Go to my social media feed. I'll find it and I'll post it. I had a second quote that I copy and pasted the wrong one in. Forget that. All right, last takeaway. Number two, our beliefs should be anchored in divine truth, not human experience. 
Our beliefs should be anchored in divine. Well, I just feel, well, I saw, I was in a service where I saw that I saw someone get healed. Someone told me, somebody, they, they ordered that handkerchief online and, and their cancer went away. God may have healed them, but it wasn't some handkerchief some televangelist sold them. It was God. The, the Bible, anchor your, your, your beliefs in divine truth, which is God's word, not human experience. We love experiences, don't we? It's why, it's why we've created in America the term bucket list. Anybody here have a bucket list? Some, some things you want to do? I've got one. My wife and I got to cross one off earlier this year. A bucket list item I've wanted to do. We were watching this week with our family. They're my kids' favorite YouTubers. Dude Perfect. Some of you know them. And Dude Perfect had a new episode this week called Bucket List South Africa. And they went to South Africa and they went on a safari and they went and they tranquilized. They were saving some rhinos. They tranquilized and were standing right next to this giant rhino. They went paragliding. They jumped off a, a hill and were paragliding. They, they swam cage dive with sharks. They, uh, what else did they do? They, oh, they jumped off, bungee, bungee jumped off of a bridge. And I'm sitting there. My daughter Ashlyn here is 18. Her birthday is July 13th. My daughter Annalise is six. Her birthday is July 12th. They one day apart. They were born 12 years and one day apart. And my six-year-old, six-year-old little Annalise, first grade, she turns to me and says, watch, we're watching the bungee jump and the paragliding. She says, Dad, can me and Ashlyn do that for our birthdays? I was like, you're crazy. My six-year-old wants to experience things. My nine-year-old Trey was like, absolutely not. I'm not, I'm not touching any of those experiences. God makes all of our kids different, doesn't he? My nine-year-old son doesn't care. We're going to Disneyland one day soon, and he doesn't care. He's in peer pressure. I hate roller coasters. My other kids, most of them are like crazy thrill seekers. But, but why, why did they make that video? Why did we watch that video? We love experiences. We love to feel things. I want to try that. I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what that high feels like. I wonder what going to that place will feel like. We love experiences, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the danger is when we begin to bring that into our Christianity and we place experience above truth. We will attend a church that has compromised truth but provides a great experience for us where the pastor makes us laugh and believe in ourselves more, and the music gives us goosebumps and makes us feel good. I'm not wrong with music speaking to our hearts, but be careful that we're not craving an experience rather than divine truth. Experience is a terrible thing to base our Christianity and church membership upon. Our desire for experience is why there are more than 32,000 Starbucks in 76 different countries of the world. You know that most of you, if you really wanted to, you could make a better cup of coffee at home than Starbucks makes for you? <laughs> and for about 10% of the cost, right? How do I know that? Because our parents and grandparents somehow made it through life with just that can of Folgers on the fridge. They got through all their whole life with that can. They didn't have to stop every day at Starbucks. Starbucks isn't just offering you a cup of coffee. You, I've, read their, I've read books on their history, their founder. Starbucks is offering you an experience, a place to gather, to relax, to read, to connect, to wake up. They are selling a feeling, an emotion, an experience. And here's the danger. Churches now do the same thing. We offer a religious feel-good experience. Our spirituality must be anchored in divine truth, not human experience. And so much of the modern tongues movement is based upon an experience, not any clear divine truth. First Corinthians 1 says that the Jews require a sign. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh a sign. What happened when Thomas, he didn't see Jesus? What did he say? Except I see him and feel him. Unless I have a personal experience where I can feel good about it, I'm not gonna believe. And then Jesus showed back up and he said, Thomas, put your hand in my side, put your hand. And Thomas went and did it. And he said, I believe, I felt it. I felt the experience, so now I believe. And what did Jesus say? He said, I'm glad you believe when you felt it. Blessed are those who believe, not because of some feeling or experience they had, but blessed are those that believe and have not seen, have not experienced it. Faith is believing without seeing. Church, what's our takeaway? Let your beliefs be based on Scripture alone, not Scripture plus experience. If Scripture isn't your ultimate authority, we'll easily be carried about with every wind of doctrine. Well, that sounds good. I know somebody that was helped by that. That seems fun. I just felt different there. The music gives me a good feeling. I'm waiting for some mystical, magical, miraculous sign from God. He gave us the miracle of His Word. Base everything you believe on what He teaches us here not what any man twists or manipulates. The word is more important than any experience I've ever had. And if his word differs from my feelings or my experience, the word is right. The Christian life was not intended to be lived by feeling. The just shall live by faith. No matter how I feel this week, I'll live for God. Because feelings are liars. Feelings will lead us down all kinds of unhealthy paths. My heart is wicked and deceitful. Faith and truth in the word will lead us in right ways every single time. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.